is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host Brandon, joined by none of my co-hosts, neither Nick or Dan are here. Solo edition, but we've got Matt Law. So obviously, Matt, it'll just be the Matt and Brandon show. Yeah, just the two of us. I like it. It's like yeah. a cozy little day. <laughs> exactly. We've done one of these before, so we know we can handle it. But uh, yeah, it's it's been interesting. You know, I know obviously we'll talk a lot about post-Club World Cup, getting ready for League Cup and, and Tuchel Ball and stuff like that. But I would be remiss not to ask you about Antonio Conte's wild quotes post-match last night after losing to Burnley. He's essentially asking to be let go because he's never lost this much in his career. I mean, that's shocking from a manager. Yeah, I didn't quite read it as him asking to be let go. I know why... And look, it does read like that. I, I get that. But when I watched the whole interview, I saw it as classic Conte. He was, it was a big challenge to the board. It was a big sort of back me, not the players. He clearly wants to sit in front of them and get assurances about what they're going to do in the summer, how much control he will have before then. So, yeah, we've got a long sort of three months ahead of for Tottenham fans in terms of that relationship because... Um, as we know, as Chelsea fans know all too well, he's a very emotional man and too many more defeats. And that message is just going to get stronger and louder and stronger and louder. And I genuinely don't think that the Tottenham board will know what's hit them. I mean, they used to think that Pochettino was a drama queen. So God only knows what they think Conte is. Right. Well, a lot of links trying to get Poch back. But again, you know, he's he's at PSG. You know, he's, he's doing some stuff up there. But yeah, uh, definitely was... Uh, the quotes lighting Twitter, uh, football Twitter uh, on fire yesterday. Uh, a lot of fans jumping uh, to the excitement, as did I. But, uh, you know, I, I guess was, it was fun to be watching the Antonio Conte thing versus um, <laughs> being in it myself. So, you Do you know. remember, it reminded me, I mean, I hope, just to dwell on it, because this might be of interest to Chelsea fans, it reminded, the whole situation reminds me a little bit. Do you remember at Chelsea in that first year, people actually forget that it didn't start that well. Um, and he had those rocky results. And I think when they lost to Arsenal, um, Roman Abramovich flew into the training ground and he stayed there. He stayed around for a few days. And I know that Conte put on a big presentation for him. Mm-hmm. Apparently it was an incredible presentation. And it was a presentation about where he thought he could take Chelsea if faith was put into him and where he thought Chelsea would go if they carried on the same lines they'd been going before him. And he basically wanted the green light to take full control for that season. And I know that all became very messy in the end, but for that season, or at least for three quarters of that season, he was given full control. He was allowed to drop Branislav Ivanovic already, who I think before had been a political problem for for some managers, albeit an amazing, amazing player. I'm not trying to have a go at Ivanovic. Um, and that was a moment in time for Conte at Chelsea, very early in his, his Chelsea reign. And he wanted to sit down with the owner then and get the green light to take control. And what he's done at Tottenham, actually, I don't think is that dissimilar in that he wants clearly to sit in front of Daniel Levy and maybe even Joe Lewis and, and get that full control. So I, I see, I know it's, it's different, different clubs, different positions in the table, different financial positions, but I see similarities, actually, between those two, two kind of moments in time. All right. Well, we'll get back to being a Chelsea podcast. So anyways, Matt, Gabriel says, no question. Just wanted to pass on my compliments for here, Savage. 
Eight touches Kai Havertz tweet deserves an XP stat from Joe Tweeds. Uh, eight was the magic number this the, at the uh, Lille match. Yeah, I mean, look, I wasn't... It was a bit of fun. But, I mean, I, I went to the game just to try and give a bit of background of how I sometimes work. I don't always write the match report. It's nice to mix things up. And on Champions League nights, I actually like to not not write the match report and to try and write about a subject. Um, and that subject had to be around the attack after the Lukaku game against Crystal Palace. So my first job that I gave myself was to literally just count Kai Havertz's touches and how long it took him to get to seven touches. And, uh, and yeah, lo and behold, I think the seventh was the one that got saved out for the corner and the eighth was the header. So it, it kind of, <laughs> it worked out into a nice irony for a tweet. But yeah, I mean, it... <laughs> Kai's performance and the way the team played with Kai, because I also think that's an important point, was the polar opposite to what we saw with uh, with Lukaku against Crystal Palace. It was the complete opposite. Kai was involved, particularly first half. Kai was so involved and was so all over the pitch and was so in tune with his teammates. His teammates were in tune with him. It was just everything that the, the performance against Palace with Lukaku up front hadn't been. And like I say, I don't think that's just the sort of fault or gain of Havertz or Lukaku, I also think it's to do with the players around them. And the the opponent, at least in that sense, you know, Leo seemed, you know, very open, very interested in, in you know, pressing Chelsea and things like that. We ended up finding a lot of gaps in between them. Um, and and the, the the attack was able to exploit that big time. You know, he wanted to be more direct. I think we saw Pulisic had a good match because he got to be more direct as well. Um, it definitely wasn't just Kai, to your point. It was, you know, kind of the attack in general. Um, they all had a good day. And and so it's an easy comparison for, for everyone to go and point at Lukaku. But um, it, it's clearly not that simple. Um, but speaking, I guess, of Lukaku, um, you know, you, we written the piece before the club and the Club World Cup. He's scoring. He scored in the final. You know, didn't do well against Palace. Had the the stat come out about seven touches. Uh, Tuchel dropped him to protect him. We've got the club or the League Cup final coming up against Liverpool Saturday. Like, what are your thoughts on kind of where where Lukaku stands uh, in terms of playing at the weekend? Look, I love Thomas Tuchel. You know I do, and I love his press conferences. But you can't tell me you're protecting a guy by dropping him for a Champions League last sixteen tie. He's a ninety-seven point five million pound signing. He expects to play in those games. He signed to play in those games. Chelsea signed him to play in those games. Okay, he had a really bad game against Crystal Palace, but as you say, he had actually scored in the previous two games. You're not protecting a guy by dropping him for that guy. I'm, I'm sorry, Thomas Tuchel, but I'm just not buying that. You know, um, that was clever. That was a bit of PR from Thomas Tuchel. That was a little bit of avoiding the situation, I think, and not trying to not escalate it into something he doesn't want it ahead of a final. Um, I found Tuchel's messaging around Lukaku a little bit weird this week just because the whole pre-match press conference was him talking about support for Lukaku. Lukaku's the solution. We're going to stand by Lukaku. We don't want to make fun of Lukaku. We don't want to make jokes of Lukaku. And yet when he was actually asked, how can, we, how can you sort this problem out? His initial response was actually, well, I don't really know. Um, and then he drops him. And then after the game, it becomes about, well, this was a way to try and protect him. And like I said, I, I, I just don't buy it. And I get why he's saying all this, or why I think he's saying all this, to try and de-escalate the situation. But as I say, you don't... If Mohamed Salah 
at Liverpool, has a bad game where he touched the ball seven times, having scored in the two previous games, and you're playing a Champions League last 16 tie, you're not dropping the guy and you're not protecting him. And so it just doesn't wash with me. And I also didn't think it massively helped that Tuchel said on the the TV beforehand, he used the word exhausted for for Lukaku. I mean, that's obviously received some pushback from Lukaku's side because he's... He he is absolutely adamant that he's not exhausted, that he's in good physical shape. I know people have been talking about his weight and his fitness, but he insists he's in good physical shape, that he feels good, that he's mentally good, that he's physically good, and that he just really wants to play and succeed. Using the word exhausted was a, a, a little bit over the top because that makes I thought that made Lukaku look a little bit silly because he should never really be exhausted. Um, so... It's a really complicated situation for for Chelsea and and Thomas Tuchel and Lukaku. Now, I am assured that Lukaku is remaining positive in the fact that all he wants to do is play and score. He's desperate to play in the final on Sunday. He hasn't played a Wembley final for Chelsea. It was a big thing for him to win his first medal at the Club World Cup with Chelsea. I know that for a fact. He's always, despite all the interview and everything like that and the controversy around him, He's always wanted to win things with Chelsea and that's, that was part of the unfinished business he came back from. So winning that Club World Cup, scoring in the semi-final and the final is actually huge for him. Um, and he is desperate to start at Wembley um, and to play a part in a Wembley final for Chelsea. Um, I mean, on, we're talking on Thursday afternoon, so I don't really have any firm sort of steers on team news yet. It's a little bit early. My guess would be I'd be quite surprised if Lukaku started on Sunday. Um, but that's not to say he couldn't have a big impact off the bench, of course. Right. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, as we look to the League Cup, I mean, the two scares are probably, um, you know, Ziyech coming off um, and wondering what he's going to be like, obviously, because he's been in really good form. It looked like maybe Kovacic picked up a knock. Um, but then the other question we had from CFC Central was if you knew about Jorginho, because we haven't really seen much of him in a couple of weeks, really. Yeah, I mean, Jorginho, his form has tailed off. And I think Tuchel expected it. Early in the season, Tuchel was talking about how tired Jorginho was and the schedule and uh, the mental pressure as well as the physical pressure that he's been through with, with Italy in the Euros. And I think he totally expected it, hence the, the signing of Saul. Um, so I don't think there's any massive surprise there. I do think the substitution in midweek was with an eye on the final because once Kovacic picked up a knock, I suspect that Tuchel uh, couldn't take any risks on Jorginho and, and potentially going into a final against Liverpool without Kovacic or Jorginho. So I thought Jorginho not coming on wasn't any slight on Jorginho. In actual fact, I think it was probably because of the fact he's going to have to start the final um and and Tuchel needs him in good condition for that final so that's that was my reading of that I was surprised he didn't start the club world cup final um he'd been put up for the pre-match press conference which traditionally when when teams do that the player who's put up for the press usually plays it was a big deal for him obviously with the Brazilian thing and another trophy and what's been an incredible year for him for trophies and winners medals so I was a little bit surprised by that. And it feels like he has his level has just dropped a little bit. And it'll be assuming he starts on Sunday, it's a really it's actually a really, really big game for him. Um, in terms of just 
needing to be at the top of his game because if he's not at the top of the game, his game, Chelsea will struggle. Um, and if he plays like he's played in a few performances recently, Chelsea will will struggle in there, I think, a little bit. And he's now 30. At the end of the season, he's going to have one year left on his contract, as is Kante, by the way. He'll be 31 in March, I think. So two very interesting situations coming up with those, with, with those guys there as well. Um, just on the attack in terms of who might start, I, I know Ziyech has been the man in form goals-wise. I actually thought he had a poor game against Crystal Palace apart from his goal. He gave the ball away a, a horrible amount. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went Mount Havertz-Pulisic, who played against Liverpool in the league at Stamford Bridge, because if you remember, Chelsea could have scored five goals in that game. They, they absolutely took Liverpool's defence to pieces. Um, so I would imagine Tuchel will have that in mind ahead of Sunday. With Mount coming back, Mount is definitely fully fit for that game, I'm told. So my my early shout would be those three to start the game, even if CH is fit, actually. Yeah, I think matching Liverpool's press is going to be important in that sense. Having energy to try to nullify Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson, obviously they're big keys to Liverpool's attack, as were Ben Chilwell and Reese James when they are in the team for us. So um, I, I think that makes a lot of sense too, especially if Ziyech isn't 100% and Mount is. like kind of seems like a no-brainer at, at this point. Um, look, Tuchel, really, really good cup record. Uh, obviously lost the FA Cup in, against it, at Wembley uh, before the Champions League, which we all kind of expected. Everyone was kind of holding back a little bit to make sure they were 100% ready for, for Porto. Um, kind of what's your reading between the matchup on Chelsea and Liverpool? Um, you know, it's it's a one-off cup match. Tuchel backs a squad and, and one of those, even though you could say probably Liverpool, at, especially right now, having just smashed leads uh, into absolute oblivion. Um, they're probably the better team overall. But again, cup final, anything can happen. And, and we've seen with Tuchel and Chelsea that they've, they've almost become this ultimate cup team. When, when in terms of uh, consistent form... Um, when it hasn't been necessarily that impressive. We even saw it at the back end of last season. You know, the form in the league, actually, at the back end of last season went a little bit and the results went a little bit. But then come the cup matches, come those massive Champions League games, he just had them right on it. Um, and they seem to have an ability to focus for these one-off big cup games. And, and Tuchel seems excellent at preparing the team for that. Um, so... I do expect them to to raise their level against Liverpool. I think you're right. You you have to make Liverpool favourites because they've been playing much better. Um, but Chelsea's Chelsea's ability to raise themselves for cup game, I think, will make it very close. I think it's interesting to try and argue who it's the bigger game for because a few weeks ago you'd have definitely said it was a bigger game. Uh, I would have said for for Liverpool actually because I didn't see Liverpool in the title race a few weeks ago. And I don't think Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool team, for as good as they are, have collected enough trophies. I mean, something Chelsea have been incredible at the last 19 years is collecting trophies. Even when they can't get a league title or they can't get a Champions League title, they win trophies still. This Liverpool team, if it's going to be considered as as great a team as it, as it probably is, um, needs to win more silverware. And so a few weeks ago, I was thinking this game's huge for Liverpool because it's the you know, if they, if they actually finished the season with no trophies, it would be a disastrous season. It would be a appalling season. So, um, but that's maybe swung a little bit now because Liverpool are back in the title race. Um, so I, it, it's hard to argue who it's the bigger game for. I think it's a big game for both clubs. I'd like to say, 
even with Liverpool in the tight race, I think they need to collect more trophies. And I think it's a big, big game for Chelsea because we just, it's hard to know at the moment where Chelsea's season is quite heading. So to get a domestic trophy in the bank, they've obviously had the, the two, the Club World Cup and the Super Cup. I'm not a great lover of the Super Cup. Chelsea fans may hate me for this. I don't really count that as a trophy. I actually do count the Club World Cup as a trophy because to have to win the Champions League to get into the thing, I think you have to respect it. Um, so I do count that as a trophy. But I think they'd be desperate to get a domestic trophy on the board because, as I say, it's, it's it's hard to predict quite where the rest of the season's heading right now. Yeah, I think that that's obviously a, a really fair point <laughs> in that sense. Um, uh, Ollie Glanville, we did a, a pre-match pod uh, for the League Cup, and he said it's also um, big for a couple of our players, like I think Asmi and Alonso. It's the one trophy that neither of them have won to complete their cabinet. It's Kante, isn't it? It's Kante, uh, it's and, Alonso. Kante and Alonso. That's right. Kante and Alonso. And Kante deserves it. Kante deserves it. That's not to say Alonso doesn't deserve it. I don't want people twisting my view here. I'm not saying Just Alonso. Just talk about him in isolation. <laughs> <laughs> but Kante, the career Kante's had, uh, you just want him to complete the set. He deserves it. And he'll have done it, if he does it, he'll have done it in four four less years than it took Aspie to do it. So that would be pretty incredible. And also with Kante, look, I'm, I'm, I think this pod's coming out Friday, is it? Um, I'm writing a piece for Friday that will come out probably roughly the same time as this pod about Kante. Because Kante, like I say, 31 in March, he'll have a year left on his contract at the end of the season. They've got a big decision coming up on Kante. It might not be this summer necessarily, but there's a big decision creeping up and having to enter a few consciousnesses at Chelsea over, over Kante. And, you know, if this is all Chelsea win this season, this is huge for Kante. It would complete the set. It'd be massive for him. So I, I would love purely, I'm meant to be impartial, and I am from club perspectives, even though I do cover Chelsea obviously very co- closely, but I do feel like I would love Kante to complete the set. I would love him to. Yeah, for for sure. Um, hopefully there's a little bit of extra uh, motivation from the team, I think. You know, because that was a big talking point ahead of the Club World Cup final. Ah, uh, complete yeah. the set, the one the club's never won, you know, yeah. like to the point Tuchel saying, we actually kind of freaked the players out with how big of a deal we <laughs> made it in the locker room. So, yeah, that'll be exciting. All right, we're going to take a break when we're back. Uh, more from Matt, including uh, any possible transfer contract updates. So thanks to sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, so Matt, I, you know, per usual, uh, yeah, you know, January came and went. Seems like Tuchel was patient. The board was was happy with the approach. It, from what it sounds like, they're just preparing for a quote unquote, or what do you guys say, inverted commas? <laughs> yeah, we say uh, quote unquote. Well. Okay, good. Um, uh, a potentially big summer as far as like, hey, Tuchel really wants to build the team around his ideas and things like that. Do you feel like that is kind of the plan with the board right now is to really look at the summer and maybe we're going to see four, five, six players come out, three, four, five come in? Five, five would five, five feels like a lot unless we're talking a few sort of squaddies as well. Um, look, we've we've talked so much about the defenders. About I said this last time, if two go, two need to come in. Potentially even three because you you need to cover that right back slot as well, which Aspie does as well as playing in the, in the centre. So 
we're going to definitely see at least one centre-back signing. I'd, I'd be very surprised at this stage if it wasn't Koundé to start with. Possibly a second centre-back signing. I think they'll want cover uh, at wing-backs. It might be that they try and find a hybrid who can cover on both sides, actually. Um, again, depending on what happens with Emerson in terms of permanent move and, and Alonso. Um, then you've got the situation with Jorginho and Kante's contracts. Very interesting if they receive a bid on one of those two in the summer, what they do. Very, very interesting. Because they'd have to be, they'd have to consider it seriously. It's, it would be the last chance to get any money for either of them. Um, that could have a huge bearing. We know he likes Declan Rice. We know they've been tracking Chimeni a long time. French reports recently seem to think there's actually a chance Chimeni will stay because of the World Cup in the winter and that he doesn't want to risk messing up his World Cup chances before before the winter, which I think probably has some value in it. Players do think about things like that quite carefully. Um, I, I also think that at least one attacker will leave, whether it's a Pulisic, whether it's a Werner. I think they're the probably two most likely at the moment, whether it be both, whether it be one, um, I think is up in the air. I think Werner's got a great chance of leaving just because I think there will be a German market for a striker because of Haaland. I think Haaland goes, I think there's a very good chance Lewandowski leaves um, Munich this season, this summer. And all of a sudden, you've got the two biggest German clubs needing needing a striker. Nagelsmann obviously had a brilliant year or so with, with Werner at Leipzig. So I think that opens the door for a possibility on Werner. I really think something could happen on Werner. Um, and then they, they would definitely look to bring, bring one in then, um, whether it be... Uh, a sort of forward who can play through the middle or on the wing or whether it play, be more of a, a, a winger. I, I, I honestly don't know at the moment. And it might depend, you know, if it's a Pulisic, the profile of the player who comes in might be different to the profile of a player who comes in if, who, if it's Werner. You know what I mean? So it's it's difficult to predict, but I could see, so I could see four, I could see four coming in, but, but I, I would expect at least one of those to be a squaddy because I think there's going to have to be a wingback squaddy come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that, and that's what it seems like. You know, as we talk about the contracts, sounds like Andres Christensen is heating up to Barcelona. Is that your understanding? Look, Christensen's—they're just not going to deal with Christensen's. They're not going to negotiate with Christensen's agents. So if Christensen's agents turn around and say, "You know what? He'll take what was on offer. We're happy to do it. He will sign." If Christensen's agents want to start trying to negotiate still, which is currently the situation, Chelsea aren't going to negotiate with them. They're, they're just not. That that's negotiation with Christensen's agents is dead. So it's it's just up to him whether he wants to sign the contract with Zern at the moment. Obviously he doesn't. So you've got to think he's he's probably leaving. Barcelona seem to think that they've got a really good chance on, on Aspie. Good story by Nizar Kinsella yesterday, actually, to give him credit. Um about the fact that they do have this option on on Aspie's contract, a bit like they did on Giroud, but and this isn't to. to You're to saying detriment. Chelsea have like a plus one? Yeah, they have a oh, plus okay. one, but it really makes no difference. If I'm honest with you, it didn't make any difference with Giroud. If if Aspie decides he wants to go to Barcelona, all it'll mean that Barcelona have to play, you know, five hundred thousand pounds or something like a very nominal fee, um, like AC Milan ended up doing with Giroud. So. That will have no bearing on his future. And I think that the feeling in Barcelona is still that they, they think they, they will end up getting him. Yeah. Rüdiger, 
Rüdiger, I, I think maybe that the Chelsea probably, I suspect they've made their last offer to Rüdiger. It's about £170,000 a week. That would make him the highest paid defender in the club's history, more than John Terry, which I think Chelsea believe is a very fair offer. That's going to come down to whether Rüdiger accepts it. And I actually think the, the lines of communication between Chelsea and Rüdiger's people are a lot better at the moment, certainly, than they are between Christensen and Chelsea's. And I think that, I think Rüdiger's become a little bit more 50-50, certainly, than it was. It, it was looking really bad for a while before Christmas mm-hmm. on Rüdiger. Um, and, and things have got better there. But I've always said on Rüdiger, it'll just depend on what, what concrete offer he gets from elsewhere. And I, I don't know what he's got from elsewhere at the moment. For sure. Um, okay. Well, I mean, impressive that you read my mind that Rudiger would be next. It's not as if we've talked about him every time <laughs> you've had to, you had to come on. Um, yeah, the midfield obviously going to be different. So uh, Tuka Leister asking, are Chelsea seriously monitoring Rafinha? Yeah, they, I think they are monitoring a few of those kind of players. I do think there's um, some interest in Rafinha. Um, it, it sounds like he might be available. Um, obviously, Leeds could even go down, um, which would definitely create a bit of a stampede for players like Rafinha and Calvin Phillips. Calvin Phillips still hasn't signed a contract yet. Um, so, yeah, I think there is interest. I don't know the level of the interest. I mean, it's clubs are interested in so many players and they scout so many players and they watch so many players and, and he's in the conversation. Um Dembele, because he's on a free transfer, will definitely be someone they're, they're interested in. Again, how strong that is. And it will, will be so dependent on, on what happens with the attackers. It's so early to, to make a, a confident um, kind of statement on, on who they will go for there. But yeah, I, I think Rafinha probably won't. Like, I, I, I suspect they'll think that Rafinha is not quite their level. I don't think Rafinha is quite Chelsea's level, if I'm honest with you. He's a very good player. He's hit and miss. He got dropped by Leeds uh, a couple of weeks ago. He'd had some bad games. I think he's good, but I think when push comes to shove, Chelsea would think he's probably not quite what they're after at the moment. But he's he's definitely worth watching. And he could be picked up. It could end up that he could be picked up for, for relatively cheap, you know, 15, 20 million they're talking because of Leeds' both financial situation and potentially situation in if they got relegated or something. Yeah, been a bit of a, a slide for them recently. Uh, Shabby9 saying that John Terry indicated on his recent uh, Instagram Q&A that he won't go for a managerial job that doesn't suit him. And if it never comes around, he's fine with that. So do you think John is moving closer to a permanent role at Chelsea like Czech, given suddenly how involved he's at the club uh, as a coaching role? No, because he's not that involved at the club, you know, is, is, the, is the reality of it. He's got this part-time job with the academy which is very much part-time um he was out in abu dhabi for the club world cup i think with visa or or one of the sort of partnerships and the sponsors he wasn't with the club he wasn't staying with the team he wasn't part of the setup um he's not he's he's not involved in the first team whatsoever he's not really that involved at the club so no i don't think it's moving towards that i actually think john john terry is trying to still get a managerial job, even though, as you say, he wants one that's exactly right for him. Um, certainly doesn't want to sort of burn his career by taking a, a job that, that that's only going to last three or four months, which is easy to do in, in his position. So 
I, I think the work he is doing with Chelsea, which, like I say, is very much part-time with the academy, is just just keeping his hand in, keeping working, uh, keeping contacts around that. But I think it's to do with preparing himself for trying to still become a manager elsewhere. I don't see him moving through the, the Chelsea ranks because he hasn't even got a full-time job with Chelsea. What do you think that's like when, I'm assuming it's the club secretary, is like, all right, John, know you're a club legend, know your big deal, but uh, here's your contract, part-time wages, like, uh, I, don't I don't know. Well, I don't think there's a contract, you know. I don't, okay. I don't like, I doubt whether everyone's even had to do a contract. I doubt whether HR have had to deal with John Terry at the moment. <laughs> so, just um, maybe a background check, you know, just for the, per the HR, you know. I know, he's, I know he's very close to Neil Bath. I think it's as simple as Neil Bath saying, you know, John, come and, you know, we, we can use you really well for certain things and, and, and come and come and help us out. And if you'd like to help us out, I think it's that arrangement. It's not, I don't, and I'm guessing now, obviously, but I, yeah. I get, I get no feeling that there's any sort of contract involved or any, anything like that. And I don't think it's awkward for the club because I don't think John uh, is angling to take a academy, full-time academy coach job at the club either, because he made it clear he would like to become a manager and, I know that he's been he's spoken to sort of League One championship clubs and for whatever reason it hasn't happened yet. But I don't think he's he's sort of begging Chelsea to take him as a as a full time academy coach. And anyway, he's head coach of uh, Apes Club, whatever it is. So he's You're already a get manager. Blocked by him. <laughs> he is. <laughs> I saw that. I made like a cheeky comment about that too, and. I didn't tag him because I still would like to not be blocked by the captain leader <laughs> legend. Um, I'm going to assume that if I'm American, I'm going to say thoughts on Roman planes. But if I'm Spanish, maybe Ramon Planes to Chelsea. Uh, any any truth to that Barca technical director coming to Chelsea? Are they are they really ready to open that Michael Eminala role up again? Petr Cech's essentially the technical director. I don't think there's a job. Uh, long and short of it, I, I, job. Roman Planners, I I wrote about him. That's right. Newcastle talked to him. Mm-hmm. Newcastle talked to him not so long ago when they were looking at it. Um, no, I've not heard it, and I don't. For, I don't think there's a job. Sorry, Roman. We have to look elsewhere. The the double down question is: Have you heard anything that Chelsea are considering adding more scouting talent to the club? And they say of this caliber, maybe European caliber, top of big clubs around Europe. Are Chelsea looking to shake up that recruiting division at all? Not that I'm aware of. No. Um, all right. I'm, I, I look the, the the scouts, especially the overseas scouts, uh, come and go a little bit anyway, and without anybody really knowing. It's not like we we know who who all their overseas scouts are, but in terms of the the kind of main people at the club, no, I I, I don't get any. I've not had any suggestion. There's any shakeup going on there. I think they're. I look. I know people. It will always cause debate about the recruitment and blah blah blah. But I actually think they're they're pretty happy with the way they do their recruitment at the moment. They they like the process. Um, Obviously, they've had issues in the past with head coaches clashing with certain people. And then they had that situation when after Michael Emanale left, there was that lull where there was only Marina and she basically had too much on her plate. But now they've got Petter and he works very closely with Marina. You watch any of the games, you watch the Club World Cup, Marina and Petter seem to always be sat together, seem to always be in conversation. They seem to work incredibly closely together. And Tuchel's fitted into that perfectly. So, And Scott McLaughlin's there. 
I, I don't see anyone coming in really at any high level to do that. Whether they change a few scouts here and there overseas, maybe, but I probably wouldn't even ever find out about it, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Like a scout after a while, they have an eye and, you know, like I, I could see them coming in and going and, you know, working for multiple clubs and things like that. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So there's an interest. I mean, the, the, in, a, in a broader sense across the Premier League, there's a technical director man, merry-go-round going on. You know, Newcastle seems to have got Dan Ashworth, who's had to go on to gardening leave. That leaves Brighton needing one. Congerton is leaving Leicester. They need one. Everton haven't hired yet, even though I know that they've wanted Steve Hitchin, who left Tottenham. Um, I'm told Watford have looked at the post. I think there's a real merry-go-round in those positions, but I don't think Chelsea are involved in it. Well, that's good, though, because you've got our ducks in a row. This is it. This All is right. it. I mean, Petr Cech seems to be very, very uh, highly respected and, and, like I say, very close to, to Marina. Um, if anything, I think his influence is growing, to be quite honest with you. Well, it's probably because he stopped his part-time hockey league. And he stopped training. He's not a member of the squad anymore, and he stopped training with the goalkeepers. He seems to have given up <laughs> all the activities now. He's obviously busy these days. Yeah, Funny how that whole kind of first season and a half went under him. Um, like he was rostered at one point. <laughs> like, yeah. shall we never forget? Um, Armando Broja is making a lot of noise in the Premier League for all the right reasons. Um, Connor Gallagher at Palace, Levi Cole at Huddersfield. You know, we talked about changes last season. Um, is, do, you, do you think that some of these players might be seen as make weights? for other transfer business like we saw this past summer? Or do you think that Chelsea are happy, you, you know, with the squad they're at and, and potentially bringing some of these guys back? Gallagher will come back. Gallagher will be part of the squad next season, certainly to start with. I don't. I still don't quite know where Conor Gallagher plays for Chelsea with two calls tactics, but that's not my problem, frankly. Do you um, think he just comes in to replace Saul's spot in the roster? Or Loftus-Cheek? Who knows what's about that? With yeah, who who knows what's going to happen with Ruben? I think uh, we talk about Ruben so much, don't we? I think if you're Ruben, you you've got to get out. You've got to go and play. You've got to go and be a first team footballer somewhere. Um, so it could be instead of Ruben. Whether that will be enough for Connor, I think it will be to start with. I think he's desperate to get back and give it a go. I know the club definitely are planning for him to be part of the squad at the start of next season. And then it will be a view of from his side and the club side to see how it goes till that January. If he hasn't played enough, then maybe he gets loaned out somewhere. But Conor Gallagher, I'm confident, will come back and be part of the squad next season. As you say, Sal will naturally free up a space. A Jorginho or a Kante could even leave. I think Ruben should leave for the good of his career. So there could be space within that squad. But I, I, I still don't know where Conor Gallagher fits into a Thomas Tuchel team. But as I say, that's not really my problem at the moment. Um, who else was it? Sorry, did you say? Well, oh, uh, we Broja. I mean, Broja's. I'll I'll admit, Broja's taken me by surprise. I I knew the guy was talented, but I did I didn't know he he was quite as good as he did. I watched that Man United game a couple of weeks ago, and he he just bullied Harry Maguire. He's got pace. He's strong. He's confident. He's direct. The the tricky thing is is I know some Southampton fans who are delighted with him. But they do also say there have been games where he's just been non-existent. Mm -hmm. And at Chelsea, you have, as Romelu Lukaku found, if you have one non-existent game, 
you end up being the subject for a full-on week and everyone talking about you. If you have one non-existent game at Southampton, or may I say even at Aston Villa, my club, nobody really takes any notice. It's a completely different ball game at Chelsea. That's why I still have reservations when people say, I'll bring Brozier back and he can lead the line next season. You have no idea how we can deal with with that level of scrutiny and that level of pressure. It's an unforgiving, unforgiving place. And that's why I think strikers find it hard at Chelsea. It's so unforgiving. You, you have one bad game as a Chelsea striker. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. So, and you have three or four bad games, don't score for one, and it's a crisis. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I'd imagine they'd look at Brozier in pre-season. I could still see him potentially going out on loan, maybe to a slightly bigger club. If they could get him off on loan to a Dortmund or a, or a big European club where there's real pressure, I think that would be fantastic for his development and then to know how prepared he is for Chelsea. But he's done incredibly. You've still got... We forget Gilmore. You know, the boy That was wonder. my next one. Yeah. The boy wonder. And again, I, I don't quite see where he, he fits in a Tuchel team, but he's so talented and so good. I'm such a fan of his. Um but again, I mean, look, I hope we, we, I think we spoke about this on the last pod. I hope Chelsea don't do this this summer. But again, if they wanted to raise 100 million by selling academy products, they could do it in five minutes. If you sold Conor Gallagher, Brozier, Billy Gilmore, you're probably going to name someone else at me who I've forgotten off the top I of mean, my head. I mean, at this point, Levi Colwell, the way he's done in the championship, yeah. you'd assume a Premier League team would pick him up. Yeah, you would. You would. Well, they did. That's a bit like Mark, Mark Gerhi. Yeah. Um, if you sold three or four of those guys this summer, you would make a hundred million pretty much. I, I don't think they will sell them all. And I, I really pray they don't, because I don't think that is a good, good thing to go forward. I see why they did it last season. Um, but the, the amount of value within their academy and their loan players at the moment is, is pretty incredible. Really incredible. I mean, you're hearing that Olise from Palace, you're like, he was in the Chelsea Academy and his brother seems to be in the Chelsea Academy. So I asked asked Phil at Chelsea Youth about that. And I think it was last weekend's matches. He said, I think there's only one game that had no academy ties whatsoever to it in the Premier League. That is mental. That is such a good stat. I love that stat. Is Uh Phil Chelsea Youth? Yes. Yeah. I'd love his account. And Stuff that, that that I love. That's that's incredible. But everybody, every time a, a new kid pops up, I, I read or hear somewhere that he was once in the Chelsea Academy. It's just astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Um, but yeah, Colville's an interesting one as well, actually. What 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 they do with him next season. Because people who, who watch the championship more regularly than I do these days, and I obviously used to be an avid follower when, when Villa were down there tell me that he has been one of the best players in the championship this season. Um, much, And they, they actually compare his performances to a bit like how Rhys James did when he was at Wigan. Um, and people, people think he's ready to be part of a, a, of a Chelsea squad who watch championship football all the time. So the exact quote, just to round off on that, was Villa versus Watford is the only Premier League game today, which was last Saturday, without an ex-Cobham boy involved in the matchday squad. That is insane. You've blown my so, mind with that. That is insane. Yeah. So we've been, and the more we get to talk about him, we've been doing uh, academy updates on a monthly basis with him. And it is just fascinating, especially because some of the academy teams are not, they're struggling this year. We were yeah. talking about relegation uh, yeah. with the dev squad, which is a weird thing to talk about. But 
you know, it, it, it happens. It doesn't mean, you know, Harvey Vale's still there. You know, there's um, plenty of talent still in that squad. It just hasn't come off this season for whatever reason. But, uh, yeah, it's been fun getting to learn just how, you know, widespread the, the Chelsea's Academy has uh, across England. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Good stuff. All right, Matt. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Okay. Obviously, yeah, thanks for your um, time. You'll be at Wembley Sunday, right? I'm at Wembley Sunday. I'm then in a couple of weeks. I'm in Lille. So yeah, following lots of Chelsea. We asked Ollie what his Wembley routine is. I feel like yours will be different if you're working because you know he goes to the pub and. No, mine's just the normal. Look after the kids all morning and then rush out late and rush into the press box. <laughs> boring. It's a boring route. There's no Wembley routine for me. It's just like any other. Like any clockwork, other though. Yeah, exactly. Just trying to juggle juggle family and work is pretty much it. All right, Chelsea fans, huge shout out to Matt for uh, you know joining us as always, uh, sharing all of his wealth and knowledge. So please go on social and thank the man. He deserves it. Uh, but anyways, that's going to wrap us up. Uh, next time, we'll be talking to you post-League Cup final, hopefully coming home with a trophy versus Liverpool on Sunday. So anyways, until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.